Okay, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. While our brothers and sisters are going through atrocities, we will always begin our talk, insha'Allah, with dua for them and mentioning some things about them before we begin our topic. Allahumma inna nas'aluka bi asma'ika al-husna wa sifatika al-ula. Oh Allah, we ask you in all your glorious attributes and your lofty names. اللهم احفظ إخواننا في فلسطين وفي غزة بالأخص اللهم ارحم موتاهم اللهم ألحقهم بالشهداء اللهم اجعل أولادهم فرطا وذخرا لهم اللهم واحفظهم بحفظك الكريم اللهم وانصرهم على من عاداهم اللهم واحفظهم وأبدل خوفهم أمنا عن قريب يا أرحم الراحمين اللهم رد المسلمين إلى دينك مردا جميلا اللهم اغفر لنا ما قصرنا وتقبل دعاءنا يا رب العالمين Oh Allah, bless them and protect them and change their state of fear into security Oh Allah, change their state of hardship into ease Oh Allah, accept their slain ones and their dead ones among the shuhada and salihin and the prophets Oh Allah, make their children awaiting for them at the doors of Jannah and at the fountain of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Oh Allah, bring serenity and ease upon their hearts and change their state immediately and soon. Oh Allah, you are the knower of all affairs and you are full of wisdom and all knowledge. You know and we do not know. Oh Allah, forgive our shortcomings and unite the Muslims and unite those of justice and power to assist them and change the oppression into justice. Oh Allah, guide us. Guide us to that which is best for us in this world and in the next my brothers and sisters, <clears throat> some people have asked me before I begin the topic, why isn't Allah giving them justice and victory? And if you think about this question deeper, brothers and sisters, you'll find that the question is just wrong. Why is the question wrong? Brothers and sisters, when you know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created us in this life as a test in this world, then you will understand it greater. And when you understand that there is a hereafter, there is a judgment day, there is paradise, there is hellfire, and that this life is short, and that Allah will not let the oppressors go, then the picture will become clearer. In this life right now, if Allah wanted to, He can open up the skies and let the angels come down before your eyes. But then what is the purpose of life anymore? Everybody who sees it, then Allah says already in the Quran, if your Lord wanted to, He would have done all of that. He said it to the people of the kuffar at the time of the Prophet ﷺ. He said, but then if I did that, Allah says, then there will be no need for this world anymore and everybody would just be lifted off this world and a day of judgment will occur now instead of later. Then there's no point of the whole purpose of why Allah created us here. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us guidance and He has given us promises and He has given us uh, the clear statement of what He wants from us. And what we're supposed to do for each other. And that he created reward, a reward system and a punishment system. And he told us very clearly in the Quran right from the beginning. That this life is a test and that it is up to us to defend each other. To stand up for each other. To follow the guidance. To come together. To unite between each other. To speak out for each other. To voice for each other. To be there for one another. To build our lives and develop and be and. and build our strength together and prepare. For the leaders are from us, and the systems are because of us. And what we do is what the result will come out later, to look at ourselves, to look at our families, to look at our brotherhood and sisterhood, to look at all that stuff and not just be reactionary. When something goes wrong, we react. There is preparation. This world is built on a system. Every oppressor that got to heights prepared for hundreds of years so it needs preparation, needs iman, it needs knowledge, it needs education, it needs coming together. And not just temporarily. So Allah has left this world up to us to do things, to stand up for each other, not to wait and say, Oh Allah, open the heavens so the angels can come down. No, Allah doesn't do that. Then Allah will just end this world and day of judgment will come. But what Allah did promise is that when a person dies, there is no coming back to this world. And that is for eternity. Then the day of judgment comes, and then to paradise or hellfire. Even an atom's worth of good deed that you and I did will be revealed. An atom's worth of bad deed will be revealed. And don't you ever think that Allah is unaware? 
Don't you ever think that Allah is unaware? He is watching very carefully and very closely. And He has given us the guidance and that guidance will not change. There is a system to this world. You go by that system and you watch when victory comes. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created this world, the doubt of bala. It doesn't mean we sit down and do nothing and say, because what's happening now is that we rely only on dua and we rely only on some divine intervention. This is not true. Rasulullah prepared for years and they even lost in the battle of Uhud. In the battle of Khandaq they nearly were annihilated and a genocide almost happened to them. Rasulullah was injured in the battle of Uhud and almost died, was almost killed. Rasulullah didn't guarantee that Muhammad will be protected from the enemy. He didn't guarantee that in the Quran. He gave hints, but it was the believers that stood by him. These are the best of the best. And not just in war. But everything, while the battle of Badr was happening, while the battle of Uhud was happening, while the Khandaq was happening, while the Ghazwa of this and the battle of that was happening, Rasulullah still continued to educate the Muslims about their deen. Educating them about wudu, educating them about ghusl, educating them about relationships, educated them how to eat and how to sit and how to walk. All of the sunnah of Rasulullah and his guidance continued. So Allah says in the Quran, for example, Inna Allah la yughayiru ma biqawmin. Allah does not change the state of a people until they change the state that is within themselves. And I'm not talking about the people of Gaza. I believe the people of Gaza, the people of Palestine, they are Allah's people. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may be taking them back off this earth because when someone dies, where do they go? They go back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They know their state and they're not asking us to do anything. They're just asking us to make dua, to voice our opinions and to try and speak out and share what's happening to them, to the world. As for them, they said, we know where we're going. So we're thinking about ourselves and the future of our generation. And I think, alhamdulillah, I'm seeing a change and a shift in this world. It doesn't have an open night. But what can you do within your power? You do it. We talked about last time uh, not buying products that you know definitely are produced, for example, uh, in Israel, that goes to the... Uh, strengthening of the army against the Gazans and the Palestinians. If you want to, between you and Allah, you can do that. I didn't say that it definitely will work or not. I don't know. I'm not an economist. I'm not a political analyst. I don't know. You can't ask Mashaykh if it works or not. And everybody just Googles and finds out by themselves. But at least in front of you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you can do something of something. You can't boycott everything, you know, four or five things. But otherwise, it's true. You can't live your life. And victory doesn't come from that. But perhaps it has some effect, inshallah. Rasulullah did it when the battle of Badr. He went and intercepted a caravan that was going from Mecca to Syria. It was carrying two things. Lots of merchandise from the Meccans and also merchandise and property of the Muslims who, who fled, who were thrown out of their homes. They took it and they stole it. They went to sell it. That was half of all of Mecca's economy. Prophet ﷺ intercepted that caravan and it truly did directly weaken the entire um, economy and the entire power of Mecca. But it was direct. If it works to that stage, then do it, alhamdulillah. And whatever you can do within your power. Number two, your dua has to continue. And don't expect that your dua is going to happen exactly the way, Allah, the way, the way you want it. Dua reminds you of who you are, your identity, the Muslim believers coming together, and it's probably for the future. Number, four, don't, number three, don't expect that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to give victory the way you want it. Perhaps Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows when it is right. Maybe right now he sees that there's too much hypocrisy in our ummah. Maybe he sees that if one gets up, the other one will stab him from behind. Maybe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows that the harm will be even greater if one Muslim country makes a move while the other one has got some different hidden agendas. Allah knows, but we don't know. The point is that I'm trying to say is, it's not up to us to try and analyze and figure out all the world. We don't know. But what we do know, what we do know is you never give up on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You never use that to say, why Allah is not doing that? I'm going to leave this religion. No, that's not how it's, Allah never promised you that. He never told you exactly how it's going to work. But he says, If you give victory to Allah, Allah will give victory to you in his deen, in, in what you do. Number, five, number four, some people like to go to protests. And people have asked me about protests. Before I begin the topic, I want to explain. Some people have asked me, are protests halal or haram? Look, in general, in the beginning, I never really, have much, never really had much faith in protests. You know, since September 11, I've never really gone to protests. I don't, they fall on deaf ears. However... I've slightly changed my mind at the moment. 
And I'll talk from an Islamic perspective and from just a general common sense. The Islamic perspective for those Muslims who have um, who, who've become confused and some of them have uh, sent me quotes from scholars such as Ibn Uthaymin, Al-Bani and others. And I've listened to their quotes very carefully. I'll give you an example. Sheikh Ibn Uthaymin, if you know who I'm talking about, he was asked about, boy, about protesting and then he said, these are his words, you can find them on YouTube in Arabic. He said that in the Muslim countries, Muslim-majority countries, in countries which are operated by especially the Muslim and Arab countries, their whole system is different. Their whole system is different to the West, where we live in here. And he said, in there it would be haram, because it's not supported by the government, you don't have security, it's chaos, you'll start closing down people's shops, you close down roads, you start causing harm, then benefit, and it's chaotic, it's all over the place. So its harm is far greater than its benefit in every way. But he said, however, these are his exact words, I was told, he said, and I heard that in the West where there's, like here in Australia, in America, and all that place, it's a democratic government, and there's elections and so on. He said, I heard that in the West, protests can have an effect, a peaceful protest can have an effect on policy uh, changes, and can have an effect on government in the way they view you know, um, international politics and policies within their government, because it's based on numbers. And if it's a very large number, and people walk in peace, and they voice their opinion, it can have an effect because... It's based on elections. And when people see so many numbers throughout the world, it does really benefit in a very, in a tremendous way. Like what we're seeing right now, that is a dangerous number. When I say dangerous, I mean in the West, that next generation who you see in, 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 the, in, the, in the tens and hundreds of millions all around the world, they have the power to change the governments and the laws and policies of what's coming in the next few decades. That works tremendously. And from an Islamic perspective, so Ibn Uthaymin says, if it can have an effect on changing policies for the benefit of either the Muslim community or for the benefit of what pleases Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to change things from wrong to good, from bad to better, according to al Din, he said, then there is no problem in doing that. You can verify that, inshallah. I've listened to it with my own ears. So that's from Islamic perspective. A second Islamic perspective is this. The hadith. The hadith in Sahih Muslim Bukhari. says, whoever of you is able to change a munkar, a bad thing. Bad thing is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hates. Then change it with your hands. If you're unable to change it with your hands, change it with your mouth. If you're unable to change it with your mouth, change it. Then, then, then dislike it in your heart, and that's the last resort, the weakest of iman, meaning that you can't go lower than that. Protest, if, if you are voicing your opinion, voicing and saying, change this state, change the zulm, then inshallah, this can be regarded as a form of changing with the mouth. Number three, in these types of protests, people may ask, well, what about the free mixing? What about the dancing? What about the chanting? We say to you in response to that, that is an individual responsibility. When you go there, you need to avoid those places as much as you can. And it's similar to when Rasul said to people to go out on Eid, to come out, even women who are not praying, to go out. And to, it's a sunnah to pray in public outside, to increase the, the ibadah and to increase the love and the happiness. And he said, even the women who are not praying, and he said, tafilat, let the women go out and also includes men, dressed modestly and without perfume that can linger and be smelt. Now, if some women or some men went out dressed inappropriately, it doesn't mean that the whole Eid going out becomes, you've got to leave it. No, you keep going, but there will be a sin on those individuals who go out and don't follow the correct rules. So long as the benefit of protest and voicing truly does have a great effect and it is having an effect, then the benefit outweighs the harm, inshallah. Rasulullah also some people, they say, what about this kuffar there, there's disbelievers. We say to you, if the voice is working for changing any oppression, especially for your brothers and sisters, then I can quote when Rasulullah took part in Hilf al-Fudul. He took part in a pact during the kuffar time before he became a believer. Sorry, astaghfirullah before Rasulullah was given the mission of prophethood. 
not before he came to believe, he was always a believer. But before he, he got the, the, the verse of the Quran on Mount uh, Jabal Nur from Jibreel, before he became a prophet, sent as a prophet, he took part in a pact with the people of Mecca. What was that? To help the orphan and the weak and the oppressed. There were people who used to oppress them and blackmail them, and they used to make, they made a pact to go and help those who were weak against the leaders and against people who had power over them. And they would stand outside their house, and sometimes they would drag them out and make sure that they're embarrassed and humiliated to get the right of the weak. And Rasulullah, after he went to Medina and the Islamic State was established, he talked about how beautiful it was. He said, for me to do for what, what I did in that pact is khayru min humrin na'am. He said, it's better than the best of camels. أجبت, he said, if I were to be called to it even after we've established the Islamic State, I would also respond. Now the hadith, Al-Albani has uh, authenticated it and made it and put it in his silsilat al-hadith al-sahihah because of the different avenues of its narration. Although when you take just one narration, it is weak. But from different avenues, he said, I put it to darajat sahih which is authentic. And even though he were to be called for after Islamic State with the non-Muslims, with the kuffar of Quraysh, he would take part because it is about helping the mazlum, the oppressed. So if there is that help, and maybe there is still a difference of opinion among some scholars, I do take the opinion of these scholars, even modern-day scholars who have spoken about it and said this is now the culture and the norm, especially in Western countries where protests are a means of voicing to change the haram or changing oppression. My dear brothers and sisters, let's now go into our topic. Inshallah, I promised you that there's going to be some questions in the end, so I'll try and get through this. Now, the topic that I've chosen is called the people of the book. Why did I choose this topic? I wasn't going to talk about it, but why did I choose it? I've had a few questions actually online and in person by young people and by parents of, of young people with the events that are happening. Somehow, I don't know why, there have been questions now about wanting to know about other people's religions. And I fear that some people are starting to doubt, are they right? Could we be wrong? We don't know much about Christians and Jews and other, you know, and they're probably hearing stuff online where they're probably giving them doubt about their religion, about Islam, probably showing them that their religion and their way is not what you think, it's better than what you think. This is, you know, there's a lot of manipulation happening online. And I don't want our youngsters to lose their identity and their deen. This is very important. So I've heard a lot of these questions. I can't go through all the religions, of course, but tonight, inshallah, I'm going to give you some fundamentals that you can walk away with so that, inshallah, you understand and feel proud of your deen of Islam, alhamdulillah. And what does the Qur'an say about these people called the Christians and Jews as the people of the book? Why do we call them people of the book? Who are the children of Israel? What does it mean that they had the, the, the book? Do we believe in their book? Are they Muslims? If they follow the Torah and Injil, the Holy Scriptures, does it mean that they're Muslims? Maybe perhaps you've heard some things in the Quran, some people quoting your Quran verses and twisting them. So uh, here it goes, inshallah. Let me teach you the fund foundations and fundamentals in summary, inshallah ta'ala. Now I can't talk too much about the deep Christian and Jewish beliefs. Obviously I'm not well-versed like them in their own belief. It's like somebody coming and telling me about Islam and not, they don't even follow it and then teaching me. I will say to them, you can't teach me about my Qur'an. But I have studied officially, uh, um, formally comparative religions. Alhamdulillah, for over 26 years, I've been involved in interfaith dialogues with scholars of Christianity and Judaism, rabbis and priests and professors, actually, with PhDs in Christianity and Judaism. We've had long discussions and alhamdulillah, I can speak a little bit about it uh, confidently and to a certain extent So let's go through it inshallah. I want to begin number one with something in the Quran that talks about all people from the beginning of time. Before any human being was born, the Islamic belief in the Quran is such. Before any human being was born, before there were anyone calling themselves Muslim or Christian or Jew or Hindu or Buddhist or atheist or anybody in the, any ethnicity, any culture, any color, any race, before any of that happened, the Quran actually talks something very interesting that happened when Allah created Prophet Adam salam. So before any human was born, the Quran tells us that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created Adam as the first 
anatomical human being, the human being that you see today. And that Allah took out of his loins, out of Adam salam's progeny, his loins, all of his children that will ever be born, you and I and everyone existing on this earth from the time of Adam till this world ends. He took them out. And that Allah put us all in front of him in a shape, way and form that is known to him. And we were able to have a conscience, we were able to see, we were able to hear, and we were able to speak. Allah, Allah knows what kind of body it was, but it was a conscience, able to think, able to see, able to hear, and able to respond. This is in the Quran. And then he sent messengers and prophets to all the people and holy books and scriptures to every single people, tribe, and ethnic group that walked the earth till the last Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah says in chapter 7 verse 172 in the Quran, And recall, O Prophet, Allah is speaking now to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa This is a verse in the Quran. And recall, O Prophet, and this is also to us, when your Lord brought forth descendants, meaning children, from the loins of the sons of Adam, from Adam salam, Allah brought his first children and from, their ch- and from their loins he brought the others and then from their loins brought the others. So he brought the entire world at once right in front of him and made them witnesses against their own selves, asking them. Allah asked all of us at one time, Am I not your Lord? And they all said, all of the people said, all of us said, Yes, we do testify. Shahidna, we did so, Allah says, we did so in case you claim on the day of resurrection, we were unaware of this. Allah took us all out and he said to us, am I not your only Lord? And we all said, we bear witness. The best interpretation of this event is found in a statement by a companion by the name of Ubay ibn ibn Ka'b radiallahu anhu who was also a great scholar in the other scriptures and, and, and uh, books of the other religions, who has probably given the uh, substance of what he heard from the Prophet ﷺ. Probably given the substance, meaning it looks like he summarized what the Prophet ﷺ said as he heard him. The reference is in Ahmad, Sunan Ahmad ibn Hanbal, the Musnad Ahmad, in volume 5, page 135. He said, God gathered all human beings and he divided them into different groups. And he granted them human form and the faculty of speech. And he made them enter into a covenant. And then making them witness against themselves, he asked them, Am I not your Lord? And they all replied, Assuredly, you are our Lord. Then God told them, I call upon the sky and the earth and your own progenitor, Adam, to be witness against you, lest you should say on the day of judgment that you were ignorant of this. Know well that no one other than me deserves to be worshipped and no one other than me is your Lord. So do not ascribe any partner to me. I shall send to you my messengers who will remind you of this promise, this agreement that we had, this covenant, which you made with me. I shall send down to you my books. In reply, they all said, we witness that you are our Lord and our Lord and our deity. You have no Lord or deity other than you. This is the account from the Prophet ﷺ, which he said to his companions that Allah did this with all of us at once upon a time from Adam ﷺ, and then he put us back into his loins and then we were created in the normal biological process until today and until the end of time. Some commentators said this is just a metaphor, allegorical, merely to emphasize that the acceptance of God's lordship is innate in human nature. This is true. This is called fitra. It's the reason why all of us ask the question, where did I come from? Where am I going? And if you leave us alone, you find that innate inside of us, we actually believe in God. But we kind of, we, 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 we kind of camouflage that and mix it with all other uh, beliefs and, and justifications. But the truth is, brothers and sisters, Allah did take us out physically according to the Qur'an, according to the Hadith. You might be questioning, how can that happen? This is absurd. This is nonsense. Here we go again. Another uh, Muslim cleric is teaching people nonsense. 
It's easy for all of us to say nonsense this and nonsense that. At one stage, people said it was nonsense that the Earth is round. And at one stage, people said it's nonsense that there's something called oxygen and there are electrons and, and, uh, and um, you know, uh, atoms and things that are whirling around electrons and things like that. At one stage, people said that. But then we discovered things. However, if you think about it in reason, if you already believe in God and that he created you, then it's reasonably okay to, th to, to believe that Allah subhanahu wa created you once, all at once, and then put you back, and then made you be become born again. It is easy for Allah subhanahu wa to make us die and resurrect us again. Were you not nothing before this? Weren't you non-existent before you were born? Wasn't there a time you were non-existent? Voila, here you are. You're right in front. You're breathing, you're seeing, you're hearing. How did that happen? Oh, uh, some people say, oh, mum and dad did something, and then I came out. That's what some people say. I've had students say that. Say, listen, all of this could not happen without Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creating the stuff that you came from and making it with the substance and the ingredients for you to be born and to grow and so on. So like, for example, people make machines to manufacture stuff. We don't say the machine made it. We say you made the machine maker. You calibrated it. You put all the information in it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does the same. So Allah says, the one who made you out of non-existence to existence is able to recreate you again. Now this fitrah, this innate human nature exists inside of us, brothers and sisters. Prophet said, the hadith is in Bukhari, every newborn is born with an innate nature to believe in God and his message. But his parents turn him into a Jew, Christian, or Majin. Majin means like a fire worship or any other religion. Rasul Muhammad is telling us that every person, every newborn, is born with a natural way like every other person. It's called Islam. Islam means submission and surrender to the natural way that God created us. You find every child acts the same, thinks the same, asks the same. What I mean by same is similar, the innocence that's inside of us. It is that innocence that even a baby child, whether it has Muslim, Christian, Jewish, Buddhist, atheist parents, it doesn't really matter. The child is natural like any other child. As soon as you hit puberty, you start formulating your own beliefs and your own things. That's why everyone, people are able to make their children believe in uh, tooth fairies and uh, um, Santa Claus and uh, um, you know, um, the boogeyman and all this other stuff because they... Uh, children will believe what adults tell them. As soon as they reach puberty, they begin to think to themselves and say, hold on, there's no tooth fairy, there's no this and there's no that. There's no bunny rabbit that collects our Easter eggs and so on. So brothers and sisters, these things, the, in, the innate nature makes a person question, am I alone? There is a God. There is a higher power. Next, brothers and sisters. Allah created all people into different ethnicities, color, and languages. One person said to me, why doesn't the Qur'an say that Allah created black people? I don't know why they asked that question. Wallah, I don't know why. Even though the Qur'an is full of information about how Allah created us in different colors, different races, different languages, and two genders. The Qur'an, for example, says, وَمِنْ آيَاتِهِ خَلْقُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَاخْتِلَافُ أَلْسِنَتِكُمْ وَأَلْوَانِكُمْ إِنَّ فِي ذَلِكَ لَآيَاتٍ لِلْعَالَمِينَ Allah says in chapter 30, verse 22, And of his signs is the creation of the heavens and the earth, and the diversity of your tongues and colors. Indeed, there are signs in this for the wise. Why am I quoting this verse? I want to show. Islam is not based on race, ethnicity, and lineage. Allah does not create certain people better than other people. Allah does not make an ethnicity or a bloodline just based on their bloodline superior to everyone else. Your color means nothing to Allah. Your language means nothing to Allah. Your gender means nothing to Allah. If, if, you apply injustice on earth, if you talk wrong on earth, if you follow false on earth, if you don't obey Allah and follow the, the truth and you cause corruption and oppression, your color and your, and your race means nothing to Allah. Allah says in the Quran, Ya وَجَعَلْنَاكُمْ شُعُوبًا وَقَبَائِلَ لِتَعَارَفُوا إِنَّ أَكْرَمَكُمْ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ أَتْقَاكُمْ 
خبير. Chapter 49, verse 13. Human beings, Allah says, human beings. We created you all from a male and female and made you into nations and tribes so that you may know one another. Verily, the most noblest of you is in the sight of Allah is the most God-fearing of you. Surely Allah is all-knowing, all-aware, who is righteous, who is not, who is God-fearing and who is not. You can appear in some way in front of people, but Allah knows your secrets. Allah knows your hearts. Allah knows what's going on in your whispers. So, brothers and sisters, Islam is not based on color, race, gender, or how, how Allah created you. Allah does not choose certain people above others by the mere fact that he made you into that bloodline. or that You didn't choose it. I didn't choose it. So then you're saying that God is unfair, unjust, to choose a particular people to be above others. Then you're saying that the God is unjust. Why would I want to follow your religion then? Why would I want to follow what you say when you're talking and telling me that God is unjust? See, that's a fitrah. That's human innate nature that I was talking about before. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala already gave us that in every single one of us. You know, if you watch two little children who are five years old, one, you know, two different colors and races, one black and one, uh, say, for example, uh, white, or one who, who looks of a particular, you know, Asian or African or Lebanese or Turkish or whatever it is, and you watch, you watch the little children when they're playing with each other. They don't make friends based on what color they are. They don't make, ba- make friends based on um, the ethnicity or where they come from. They just make friends because they make friends. So long as they can play with each other, they'll play. They don't care about what you look like. And so is Islam. That's what Islam is based on. Um, and that's what the deen of Islam is based on. If it's not based on that, you're not following Islam at all. Brothers and sisters, number three. Every community received a prophet and messenger. Every community received the prophet and messenger. Allah says, Chapter 35, verse 24, Allah says, We have sent you with the truth to proclaim good news and to warn. Never has there been a nation but a warner came to it. A warner came to them. Every nation and tribe that you see on this earth came from a nation a long time ago where a prophet or a messenger had already gone to them to give them the message of Allah, to tell them about Allah. Some of them brought with them scriptures, others brought with them holy books, others then brought the message of the prophets that were before them and continued. Every nation Allah brought in, the Asians, the Africans, the uh, Caucasians, the, uh, the Arabs and the non-Arabs, every people had a messenger and prophet. Allah did not leave anyone out, brothers and sisters. In Surah Ra'd, verse 7, Allah says, every people has its guide. In Al-Hijr, ayah 10, O Prophet, we have already sent messengers before you among many of the ancient peoples. Surah Shura, verse 208, we have never destroyed a habitation unless it had its warner to administer ad- admonition. Every people got a warner. There's no one who was favored above another. And my dear brothers and sisters, examples of these nations and tribes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created and sent prophets and holy scriptures to are people like people of Nuh. People of Nuh, Ad and Thamud, the ancestors of the Asians, as I said, the ancestors of the Africans, the Caucasians. And most prophets and books happen to be sent to the famous Bani Israel, the Israelites, the children of Israel. Some people say to me, why are the children of Israel mentioned so much in the Quran? Just because they're mentioned in the Quran does not mean that they're favored by Allah or superior to everyone else. Or there's something, something special about them than anyone else. No. The only reason Allah mentions them in the book is because there were so many events and things that happened in their life that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings us an example of what happened so that we can learn from their past lessons. Things that they did good, and things that they did bad. And because so many messengers and prophets were sent from among them the most, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings us so many examples about some of them, how they broke covenants, how they broke the uh, disobedience of Prophet how some of them were righteous, how some of them were good, how some of them became bad. All these, there's so many events in their lives that have come to us that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses in the Quran to tell us. And also since that, from the children of Israel, so many people still exist today who call themselves Christians and Jews, and even from among the Muslims and other people came from the Israelites. They have lineages that came from them. Of course, you know, the Jews will probably have the most, 
Christians there are a lot because they came from, you know, they're followers of, of, of Christ. They used to exist among the children of Israel too. These Israelites exist till today, until the end of time. But right now they're scattered. We don't know exactly who they are everywhere. However, there's so much. And that's, I'm just answering the question of why they're mentioned in the Quran so much. Because so many events happened. I mean, we believe in Musa, salam, Moses, tremendously. He's mentioned the most in the Quran. He's a prophet of Islam. Dawood, Sulaiman, Yusuf, a whole chapter dedicated to him. Jesus, alayhi salam. So this is a core part of our beliefs, alhamdulillah. And not because they're Bani Israel, but because of the same message Allah sent to all the people. They were all the same. Musa alayhi salam called to the same thing. Isa alayhi salam called the same thing. Dawood, Yusuf alayhi salam, Ibrahim alayhi salam, Isaac, Ismail, both of them, all of them were prophets and messengers of Allah. We make no distinction between any of the prophets and messengers of Allah. And Muhammad sallallahu alayhi salam called to the exact same thing. What was that same thing? Worship one God. There is a hereafter coming. There is paradise and hellfire. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants you to apply the values of justice and so on and this and these are the morals and these are the values. Only the laws were different between them and us. Some laws. And Allah can change laws around. For example, for the children of Israel, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forbid them from hunting on a Sabbath, a Saturday. And Allah tells us how they broke that. A group of the ancient Jews, a group of them, they broke that command. Not all of them, but a group of the Israelites broke that command. And I want to make a little point over here. Some people, they curse the Israelites. No, it's haram. I'm talking about the Israelites, meaning the ancient Israelites. Who are the children of Israel? They are the children of Prophet Jacob, Yaqub, alayhi salam. Among them were Yaqub, alayhi salam, and Yusuf, and Ismail, as I said before. And Prophet Ishaq, and Yahya, and Zakaria, alayhi salam. These were all prophets. So when you curse the Israelites, the, the ancient Israelites, you're cursing the, the prophets. This is kufr. It's disbelief. We don't do that. So Bani Israel are different to the Jewish people. Not every Jewish person is from the Israelites necessarily. And not every Israelite, ancient Israelite, necessarily uh, uh, gave birth to or have the descendants of the, the Jews necessarily. Some of them converted to other religions. Some of them converted into Judaism. And we're going to talk about that, inshallah, very soon. So let's move on now from there to who are the people of the book? Have you ever heard of in the Quran, Ahlul Kitab? Hands up if you heard of Ahlul Kitab. Who are Ahlul Kitab? Tayyib. Ahlul Kitab is mentioned a lot in the Quran, isn't it? Isn't it? Does anyone know how many times in the Quran the people of the book is mentioned? Ahlul Kitab? How many? Have a guess. 20, 30, 100? 10? 6? 30? 6. Tayyib. So 31 times. That's a lot. Ahlul Kitab are mentioned 31 times. Why? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has a lot to say about them. So we can learn. The Arabic Quran word for people of the book is Ahl al-Kitab. People does not mean ethnicity. It does not mean the ethnic group of the book. No. In the Quran it means Ahl, which means followers and believers. Followers and believers, those who hold on to and follow. They're called Ahl. Not a bloodline. So a person who follows the original Torah is called people of the Torah. People who follow the original Injil are called people of the Injil. Meaning, those who follow and believe. So you can have somebody who converts to Christianity, or converts to Judaism and then follows the Torah, or follows, follows the Hebrew Bible, or follows the New Testament, the Old and New Testament, and we call them people of the book. Therefore, it's not a bloodline or an ethnicity in the Quran. What is the book? The book is a holy book sent by God to his prophets to a people once upon a time. And parts of it still exist today, even though not all of it anymore. And I'm talking about the Torah and the Injil. The Injil is called the Gospel. However, the scholars differed about who Ahlul Kitab really are, the people of the book. In the Hanafi school of thought, they say that they are Christians, Jews, and even Magans, which are Zoroastrians, fire worshippers, and some other people who believed in the Zams and some other scriptures of some prophets. The problem with that is that we don't know that they don't really exist now anymore. But what do exist are the Jews and the Christians. So the majority of our scholars, which is the accepted uh, belief, is that the Ahlul Kitab are the Jews and the Christians. Those who believe in Judaism and the Torah, and those who believe in Christianity, including all their branches and all their denominations. 
What is the branches and denominations? You know, like for example, in Christianity, there's over 45,000 different branches and denominations in there. I'll, we'll go with, with, through them. And some Jews, they also have, the Jews also have certain denominations and branches. But let's move on quickly, inshallah. I want to talk about how the Qur'an addresses them. Sometimes addresses them positively, sometimes negatively, sometimes as a warning, sometimes as an advice, and sometimes as a command or prohibition. I'll give you an example of each. The Qur'an sometimes addresses the people of the book in a positive way. In chapter 3, verse, 13, verse 113, Allah says, Yet all are not alike. Not all the people of the book are alike. Among the people of the book, there are upright people who recite the messages of Allah in the watches of the night and prostrate themselves in worship. In chapter 3, verse 114, Allah says, They believe in Allah and in the last day and enjoin what is right and forbid what is wrong and hasten to excel each other in doing good. These are among the righteous. A lot of people might say, huh, there you go. In the Quran, it says that the Christians and Jews are Muslim. Some of them are Muslim today. We say no. The context of this verse is talking about, remember the Quran was sent down 1,400 years ago. There were Jews and Christians that still lived among the time of the Prophet ﷺ. Among them were still adhering to the truthful words of the Torah and the Injil which they still had with them. And they ignored the false ones. For example, there were still Christians in the time of the Prophet ﷺ who did not believe in the Trinity. There were Jews among the Prophet's time who did not believe in the group of Jews which believed that Uzair is the son of God. They don't exist today, but there was a group of them that time. There were those who believed and sifted through what agrees with the Quran. Yet they hadn't yet heard about Muhammad or the religion of Islam. Islam is, by the way, always been there. And then when they heard of the Prophet ﷺ, they embraced and they followed Muhammad ﷺ because they followed the original scriptures which told them the coming of a new Prophet, Muhammad ﷺ, or the name Ahmad, which is now taken out of the uh, Old and New Testament that we have today. This is what Muslims believe. And among them had died before Muhammad ﷺ came along, but they were following the true teachings of Jesus and Moses and the rest of the Prophets. Among them were Muslims. So remember when I said children of Israel? Who are the children of Israel? Well, originally they were Muslims. They, they were Muslims. They were people who followed. When I say Muslim, I mean they submitted and surrendered and followed their messengers, which the Quran mentioned. Moses, peace be upon him. They were believers. They were true believers. But then as time went on, they started changing. The next verse in negativity, Allah says in chapter 3, verse 23, Have you not noticed those who have been given a portion of the book? Whenever their learned men are summoned to the book of Allah to judge the differences between them, a party of them turns away in aversion. So they were from the people of the book who started to avert away from what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the Quran and even from the original teachings of Moses and Jesus and so on. Then Allah gives an advice sometimes in chapter 3 verse 64. Say, people of the book, come to a word common between us and you that we shall serve none but Allah and shall associate none with him in his divinity and that some of us will not take others as lords beside Allah. And if they turn their backs from accepting this call, tell them, bear witness that we are the ones who have submitted ourselves exclusively to Allah. We are the ones who submitted ourselves exclusively to Allah means the word we are Muslim. That's all Muslim means. It's not an ethnicity, it's not a tribe, it's not named after anyone, it's not named after a prophet. Anyone can be Muslim. The sun, as it rises and sets, is called a Muslim in the Arabic language because it does exactly the way Allah created it. The lion, the animals, the birds, they're all Muslim because they do what Allah created them to do. Have you ever heard of a lion who decided to become a vegetarian, for example? Have you ever heard of a deer who decided to sharpen its teeth and said, I'm going to become a predator and get those lions back and those um, hyenas and so on? No. Have you ever seen animals changing the way that Allah created them? Have you ever seen the sun decide to, 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 to rise from another place or the moon changing its course or the earth changing its ways, the system of this universe? All this system of this universe is called a Muslim, Islam, submission, and Allah told her to serve the human. Only the human being and the jinns, they're the ones who choose to be righteous or go astray. And then the day of judgment is coming, and that's why only the humans and jinns will be judged, not the animals and the plantation and so on. 
So brothers and sisters, uh, the common thing between us and the people of the book from this verse is that a common thing between us is that they worship one God and we're suppo they're supposed to be worshiping one God and we're supposed to be worshiping one God, the same God. And we, we have similar prophets, we have similar, we believe in the original Torah and the original Injil, except that we believe that they've been altered and tampered with today. Not all of it is the original and some of it is lost and some of it has been taken out of context. Some of it is still true, some of it is still intact. This is the Muslim belief. Allah subhanahu wa sometimes uh, addresses the Christians and says, don't say Trinity. The prophets never taught you Trinity. He is only one God. God does not take a son. Allah says, O people of the book, do not go to extremes regarding your faith. Say nothing about Allah except the truth. The Messiah, Jesus, son of Mary, was no more than a messenger of Allah and the fulfillment of his word through Mary and a spirit created by a command from him. So believe in Allah and his messenger and do not say Trinity. Stop for your own good. Allah is only one God. Glory to him. He is far above having a son. To him belongs whatever is in the heavens and whatever is in the earth. And Allah is sufficient as a trustee of affairs. Now I know that you all know this, alhamdulillah, as Muslims. But this also we need to understand that when we're living around people of the book, we're living around non-Muslims in Australia and abroad. Sometimes we need to learn a little bit about what they believe in, in order to speak with them and to live with them and interact with them because they are our neighbors. We go to work with them. We're at school with them. We interact with them. But on condition, brothers and sisters, you need to learn about your religion first. You need to understand your Islam first before you can learn about theirs. Allah subhanahu wa sometimes commands them. Why did the Quran come down? Allah says, O you who have been granted the book. Do believe in what we have now revealed, which confirms the revelation which you already possess. Do this before we alter countenances, turning them back backwards or lay a curse upon them as we curse the Sabbath men. Bear in mind that Allah's command is done. Chapter 4, verse 47. What does it mean which confirms the revelation which you already possess? I heard some Muslims, they say, the Quran came to, 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 to confirm the Bible. So that means the Bible is true and the Quran is true and there's no difference. Wrong. There is a big difference. The Quran is coming to tell them about what they still possess of some of the truth that is still left behind of the Injil and the Torah, such as, for example, worshipping one God, not the Trinity. How can the Quran come and say it confirms the Trinity, but at the same time it confirms the Torah, which says worship one God? That's a contradiction. The Quran came to take people back to the original teachings of the prophets with some new laws. So, brothers and sisters, whoever does not believe in the Quran as the final book is not a believer. Whoever says that Jews and Christians are Muslim and they're following the truth is also not a Muslim because you're contradicting what the Quran says. The Quran is inviting them to return back to the truth, the original teachings of the prophets and the books before. My brothers and sisters, very quickly as well, who are the Jews and what is Judaism and who are the Christians? According to the Qur'an, the Jews are not necessarily Israelites, the children of Israel. And they are people who originally came out of the original Israelites, but changed parts of their religion from what Moses and their prophets taught them. This is the Qur'anic belief. Today's Jews are considered a distinct nation, no longer called Israelites. Some may be descendants of them, but there are many others around the world from different ethnic groups and religions who may have descended from the Israelites. Some historians say that the term Jews or Jewish people was formulated after the fall of the kingdom of Judah, named after, after it, I'm not sure. They do not believe in the Injil, the New Testament, the Christian Bible. They do not believe in Jesus, peace be upon him, as a prophet of God, nor that he was the Messiah, although the Quran says, Isa al-Masih, Jesus the Messiah nor his miraculous birth from Maryam salam. In fact, in fact, many of them believe that Maryam salam, billah, committed adultery and that Jesus is a result of an adulterous woman. Astaghfirullah, When the Quran said, Maryam was among the perfect and best women of the world. They reject all claim of prophethood of Jesus and Muhammad, peace be upon them all. They are waiting for their own Messiah, and the Qur'an calls them people of the book, meaning the people of the Torah. And the Qur'an also called them Yahud, Jews, and also followers of Judaism. And as I said, there are branches of Judaism, many sects. For example, there is the uh, Sadduqis or Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Zealots, the Rabbanic 
uh, rabbinic Judaism. It's early. And then later in the 18th century, there was the Orthodox, the Hasidic, the Reformed, the Conservative. In the mid-20th century, they became the Reconstructionist Jews, the Jewish Renewal, the Humanistic Jews. So there's many branches and sects of different Jews. For Muslims, the people of the book are none of these. Any of these uh, sorry, for, the, for Islam, the people of the book are any of these branches. All of them are considered people of the book. But not the atheist Jews. There are Jews who don't believe in God. They don't believe in the Torah at all. They don't believe in the Hebrew Bible. Uh, they say that we're Jews, but they say we're Jewish people, meaning from a, uh, from a cultural or ancestral perspective. Bloodline. Not that they believe. So... If a Jewish person says, I'm Jew, but doesn't believe in Judaism and tell you, I don't believe in it, I'm an atheist, and they slaughter uh, food for you, a sheep or something to eat, it's haram to eat from them. And it's haram to marry from them if they say, I'm an atheist. They believe in the holy book called the Hebrew Bible. The Hebrew Bible is made up of three things. The Torah, the Nevim, the Ketuvim, which is the law, the prophets, and the writings called Tanakh. That's how they call it, the Hebrew Bible. The Torah is generally taken to signify the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But only form part of the original Torah, which the Quran talks about. It is not identical to the, the original Torah the Quran talks about. is not identical to the Hebrew Bible that they have today, which is a total of 24 books. Who are the Christians? The Quran tells them or calls them Nasara. The Quran does not call Christians Masihiyin. The Quran does not call them Christians. It calls them Nasara. Why? Nasara literally means the victors. The victors of who? The victors of Jesus, peace be upon him. It's actually a good name. It's referring to the original, the original followers of Christ. The ones who supported Isa alayhi salam. And among them are the Hawariyun, the disciples and the descendants who stood up for him. They were Muslims. They were believers. Among them were the righteous or it also talks about Nazareth, where Jesus Christ, Isa alayhi salam, uh, grew up in. They are also considered originally from the Jews. Some call Jesus a Jew. But Muslims in the Quran, the Quran doesn't call Isa alayhi salam a Jew. Because the word Jew came out afterwards, after the fall of the kingdom of Judah. This is also in the Jewish dictionary, for those who deny it. It came out somehow, and they mean the Jews who come from the Israelites, they say. But Isa is not, called, is not called a Jew in the Quran, nor is Ibrahim Allah says Ibrahim was not a Jew, nor was he a Christian. But he was a righteous man who worshipped Allah alone. The Christians, brothers and sisters, have uh, different denominations. Uh, Pentecostal, Presbyterian, Lutheran, or Lutheran, Baptist. Uh, Methodist, Roman Catholic, Orthodox, the list goes on. And the Holy Book is the modern name, but the Bible, the Old and the New Testament. It's got the Old Testament, which includes the Torah, and the New Testament. The New Testament is an interpretation of the Injil, as they call it, the Gospel. But the Injil, the Gospel, that came from Paul, a guy, uh, a man who they think is righteous, came after Isa, and then under the names Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, around 70 to 120 years after Isa alayhi salam. And they are biographies of Jesus Christ, Isa alayhi salam, but only from parts of the original Injil, not the identical one. The authors of the Christian Bible are unknown of the New Testament. They are anonymous mysteries. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are called placeholder names, which means generic of non-existent people. Nobody knows who authored the Christian Bible. They are not the actual words of Allah revealed to Jesus and the Injil, as the Injil mentioned in the Quran. However, we call them the people of the book. So what does the Quran and Islam say about our relationship with the people of the book? The people of the book, brothers and sisters, have a special place different to the rest of the non-Muslims of the world. Only because some of their original, the original Torah and the original Injil and Nizams, Fragments of it are still in the current holy books. More so the Torah, but not all of it. And uh, if you want, you can read the scholars behind the Hebrew Bible, a critical edition, 
Scholars have talked about how 15 to 20 percent of the versions of the Hebrew Bible are missing. For example, they said uh, the book of Jeremiah, 15 to 20 percent shorter than the version in the Masoretic text, and the text appears in a different order. In this case, editors are not just dealing with glitches, but, the, but with entire different versions of the same text. This is talking about the Hebrew Bible and the Torah. In the Christian Bible, it's not from Jesus, just biographies and writings. So my brothers and sisters, Allah subhanahu wa says in the Quran that the original books which Allah sent have been altered and fabricated. And as time went on, a lot of it was lost. And by the way, they were sent to the Israelites. They were sent to a certain people. What is the Quran then? The Quran was sent to all the people of the world. The Quran, my dear brothers and sisters, does not need to be written to be preserved. The Quran is memorized from generation upon generation all the way back to the mouth of the Prophet Muhammad How do we know? Only one, one simple level of evidence is there. You ask any Muslim in the world to recite any passage of the Quran. If they've memorized it and you've never met them before, they could be from the moon. Let's say an alien from the moon or Mars. You can meet somebody from America. You can meet someone from uh, anywhere around the world, from China, from Japan, from anywhere, Middle East or none. And tell them to recite Al-Fatiha. Will there be a difference? There will be no difference. Al-Baqarah. Any difference? No difference. Not even a word. And the Quran is preserved right to the last letter and dot. Some people, they say, oh, no. There's different recitations. We say to you, they're not different words. They are different dialects. And these dialects, Allah also set them down in that dialect. And we have them preserved. So, for example, you can say, uh, you can say, for example, adhibu, uh, which means a wolf, or you can read it in a different dialect called adhibu. Allah sent both of them down in a different dialect with different Arab tribes to make it easy upon their tongue to memorize. But they were sent down; they were revealed in that form, and we still have them till today. The qiraat, the different styles of recitation, they were all divine. They were all Quran. And Allah said, and that makes it even a greater proof that the Qur'an is correct because there are, so, there are different ways you can recite the Qur'an. All these different ways were sent by Allah and they haven't changed. We, we know them to the last letter. So Allah says, We have sent down this dhikr, meaning this Qur'an, this remembrance, and we will preserve it. Nobody is entrusted with preserving the Qur'an. We don't have to write it on things. We don't have to preserve it. We don't have to make prints. In fact, memorization is how we correct prints. You open up a print of the Qur'an anywhere and you find one letter wrong. How many Muslims can pick it up? Random Muslims. A child. A child can pick it up. My little daughter who's 10 years old can pick up a problem in Surah Al-Fatiha if it's written with one letter wrong. Even your children. Is that correct? There is no book in the world like that where millions upon millions of people have memorized it back to front without the change of the dot from beginning to end. How many times does the Imam make a mistake in the Quran? And then how many people behind? Like it drives me crazy. The only annoying thing is that 50 people start correcting me. Yaqi, just the front row, come on, for crying out loud. From the back. It's Alhamdu. Another one. Hamdi. Hamda. I don't know who's right, who's wrong anymore. But you know, it's because many people, Alhamdulillah, know the Quran. It's preserved. Alhamdulillah. So, brothers and sisters, don't doubt your Quran, subhanAllah. And lastly, let's talk about some interactions. What can we do? What are similarities between us and the people of the book? Number one, they are, they are supposed to be monotheists, believing in one God alone. Even though there's the Trinity, the origin of the Bible is that it's one God. They have shared prophets. They have shared beliefs of the holy books. They have many values, morals, and ethics that are similar to us. Among them is the women covering their hair in the Jewish uh, religion, Judaism, at least after marriage. A woman must cover her hair if she's married. She can wear a wig though, so it can't be her real hair. But the point is, it is in the Torah. Uh, it is in the, um, according to what they call the halakha, to be precise. The Jewish law derived from the written and oral Torah. Uh, in Christianity, women are supposed to cover their hair. It's in Genesis chapter 24, verse 65. In the Jewish uh, Judaism, men covering their head as a form of humility... Not in, the, not in um, the, uh, the majority of Christians, though, but even men have that. Uh, food, for example. Uh, pig. Both Jews and Christians and also Muslims are forbidden from eating pork and pig. A lot of Christians don't know this because maybe they don't know their Bible well. Definitely Jews know this. Uh, 
uh, dirty animals, carcasses, uh, for example, scavengers, very similar to Muslims. The Jews, for example, share the Hanafi madhab. <laughs> Would you believe that? The Jews share the Hanafi madhab, where fish only is allowed if they have fins and scales. The Hanafis don't believe, they say it's disliked to eat crustaceans, like crabs and shellfish and things like that. But the majority of the skulls, which is the overwhelming uh, evidence, and it's correct, alhamdulillah, which the majority of scholars have adopted this opinion, is that any living creature, that any creature that lives in the sea, whether part-time or full-time, whether you call it a fish or not, but lives in the sea, is halal, based on the hadith of the Prophet Even the shark, someone said, someone was getting smart with me one time, and goes, ha, but the shark is a predator. You don't know your religion. I go far out, man. This is, how do you deal with people like that? Yes, the shark is a predator, but that's an exception in Islam because the Prophet ﷺ said, In the ocean, its whole water is clean, it's pure, and anything in it is halal, whether dead or alive. And you can fish a shark and eat it. As for the predators of land animals, birds, including birds, those are the ones that are forbidden. Actually, in the Quran, it's stated but not sharks and fish. That's just a difference of opinion amongst some schools of thought. So the hooked beak bird, like the predator birds, the hawk and the eagle, such as beasts like lions and tigers and cats and anything with canines or you know, claws and stuff. Anyway, uh, so the people of the book agree with us to a certain extent with that. Some similar beliefs and the concept of death and life after, the Jews don't talk too much about the hereafter. They have difference of opinions about it. But the Christians certainly do. The day of judgment, the day of resurrection. Jews believe in the resurrection, but they have slightly different ways. They believe in paradise and hellfire, and so on. Brothers and sisters, very quickly, some of the Muslims ask me about marrying from the people of the book. And I would like to make a very quick comment over here. You all know that I'm a marriage celebrant. I marry people off. I'm not a divorce celebrant. I'm a marriage celebrant. Every time someone I do their marriage, they think that I'm supposed to be the person that divorces them as well. But you did our marriage. I know, I, I got you together. I'm not the one who brings you apart. I can give advice. Someone asked me a very quick question, but brothers and sisters, on the phone, I can't talk about these matters. You have to go to the board of imams. You have to go to sheikhs and imams who deal with They've got to sit and listen to both sides. I can't just sit on the phone and hear a story about what you're saying about your spouse. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know. And this needs a long time. But anyway, let's move on. Some people, they say, well, I want to marry a Christian or a Jew. The Quran says that we are allowed to marry from the people of the book. Allah does say this in the Quran. This day, all good things have been made lawful to you. The food of the people of the book is permitted to you and your food is permitted to them. And permitted to you are chaste women, be they either from among the believers or from among those who have received the book before you provided you become their protectors in wedlock after paying them their bridal due, rather than go around committing fornication and taking them as secret companions. The work of he who refuses to follow the way of faith will go waste, and he will be among the utter losers in the hereafter. The meaning of this verse, which is in chapter 5, verse 5, Surah An-Nisa, is that Muslims are allowed to marry, uh, are, Muslims are allowed to eat from the slaughtered, uh, halal animals such as the cows and sheep and all that livestock or chicken and so on from a Christian who slaughtered it or a Jew who slaughtered it because generally speaking in their belief they do mention God's name in the name of God in Lebanon we have orthodox Man Maronites and we live among them and they always say Bismillah or Bismarab in the name of the Lord in the name of Allah so we can eat from their food someone asked me what if they forgot to say it the scholars, the jurists agree that if a Muslim or a Jew or a Christian forgot to say Bismillah, then you can still eat. It's not a problem. Even if you quoted the verse, don't eat that which Allah's name has not been mentioned, meaning Allah's name has deliberately not been mentioned. If it's a Muslim, for example, who said, or a Christian or a Jew, said Bismillah once and slaughtered five sheep, for example, they only need to say it once because the intention is for all the five sheep. That's fine. Islam is pretty simple in that way. Uh, so long as they declare that I am a Christian, a follower of, of Christianity and the Bible, and they declare that they are Jewish and they follow the Jewish Bible, then you can eat from their food. It is halal, such as kosher, for example. 
marrying from them. Only a Muslim man is allowed to marry a, a woman from the people of the book, from a Christian woman or a Jewish woman, on condition that they are chaste. Chaste means, the scholars talk, they differed on this, but the correct opinion, the majority opinion is this. The evidence is, I'm convinced with this evidence, is that they are women who are not known to um, uh, take money to sleep around. And they are women who are, gener who are, who are chaste, meaning that they don't take money to sleep around. Now, there is a different opinion on that. But also from among the Muslim women as well. So Allah mentioned from the Muslim women and from the Christians and Jewish women. Otherwise, people who had committed zina, adultery or fornication, they repented, are not considered, considered adulterers or fornicators. They are people who are known openly that they offer this service. That's the context of the verse. Without going to too much detail, maybe another time we can talk about it. Why are Muslim men allowed and not, and not Muslim women allowed to marry Christian men and, Christ, and Jewish men? Because in an Islamic government, an Islamic court system where it is, if, the, if it is there, uh, in the Islamic system, or forget about Islamic court, in an Islamic system, whoever follows it, the roles of the husband, roles of the wife are different. One of the roles of the husband is that he's a protector and maintainer. He is responsible and accountable for his family's affairs. So if he marries a Christian or a Jewish woman, it generally means that she agrees to that condition because in Christianity and Judaism it's the same. Men are the protectors and maintainers of women. In Christianity and Judaism it's the same. And they are accountable and responsible to spend on them, to look after them, protect them and so on. So the husband is the authority of protecting and maintaining his family. But the woman is not. The wife is not. So the opposite would mean that if a Muslim woman married a Christian or a Jewish man, he will have authority over her and her family. But one of the conditions is that the children are raised and taught Islam. If you have an authority above you who is of a different religion, it is more likely that the family will go astray and follow another religion. That's how it's taken. Now when you look at Australia only or the West, the laws are a little bit different. My advice to you, brothers and sisters, is don't marry people from other than your religion. That's my advice to you. And some scholars even forbid it, although it's not correct. You can still marry from them. But there are so many problems I've seen in brothers marrying Christian sisters, sisters in humanity, because we are brothers and sisters in humanity, not in religion. So compatibility is important. Being agreeing on how you're going to raise your lives is important. Between Muslims, it's hard enough. Imagine having totally different religions. I know of people who married them, and because of their love and whatever, they want to compromise. And uh, they did a halal Muslim marriage, and they went to the church and did a priest marriage. And then when Christmas comes along and Eid comes along, they compromise and they say, We're sharing. Now, if a Muslim man marries a Christian woman or a Jewish woman, she has a right to practice her own religion and faith and go to the church. She has no right to prevent her. But as for his children, they have to be raised in Islam. They have to come to that agreement. My advice to you, brothers and sisters here, living here, avoid marrying people of other religions because the problems are greater. Unless, alhamdulillah, they genuinely and truly become Muslims and want to become Muslims, then alhamdulillah, that's even better. I know of brothers who married uh, uh, women who were Christian and Jew and they converted or reverted to Islam. Alhamdulillah, they've been married for 20, 30, 40 years and... They're amazing, mashallah. But it's just a big risk for both of you. There will be so many clashes. So my brothers and sisters, just in a nutshell, I know I promised I'm going to let you ask questions. There's five minutes for Aisha. So, هذا وصلى الله على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين.